The title for this message based on Romans 6.23 is Death or Life. Death or Life. When we looked at Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, Paul spoke about life or death. He said that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That if I, I live, then I will be able to minister to you more and, and help you grow more in Jesus Christ. But if I die, then I will have uh, my, my seat in glory with Jesus Christ. I will be able to see him as he is. I will be able to see him face to face. He says, so I'll be able to have my reward in being with Jesus Christ. And so in Philippians 1, Paul talked about life or death. But here, when we look at Paul's letter to the Romans in verse 23, Paul sort of flips the script a little bit. Instead of talking about life or death in regards to himself, Paul now proposes it out to the, uh, the listeners, to the readers. And he tells them that it's about death or life. And so in Philippians, he was talking about himself, life or death. But here in Romans 6.23, he's talking about the readers, the Romans, death or life. Which one will you choose? And that's what I want us to think about today. Death or life, which one will you choose? Will you choose death or life? And I want you to think about that before you make your choice because... When we think about death or life, this is not the same death or life that Paul was talking about in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, Paul's life was for ministry. His death was for eternal glory. But here, death or life has two different implications and interpretations than what Paul said in Philippians 1. And so we have to understand that before we say, yes, I want to die and go home and be with Jesus. You got to make sure that that's what death means. When we say death or life, or I want life, and that means I'm going to do more ministry for the world. You got to make sure that's what life means. So here, what does death or life mean? Now, I want us to notice this, that when we look at Romans 6.23, it's only one sentence. That's all it is. When you look at it grammatically, it's only one sentence, a long sentence. Paul was very well known for writing long sentences. It's just one sentence, actually a compound sentence for the kids. I know y'all are doing some English grammar stuff, but the children are. So this is a compound sentence, Romans 6, 23, and it has two distinct statements. The first statement is the wages of sin is death. That's statement number one. Second statement, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you got one sentence with two statements. Now, what do these two statements mean? All right, first of all, when we look at for the wages of sin is death, the first question we ask is, what are wages? What are wages? Usually when we hear the word wage, the only time I really hear people say the word wage in regard to minimum wage. We don't really say wage a lot now. In some ways, it's an archaic word. We use the word wage in regards to minimum wage, and usually that's not what we want. Many times as I, as I hear it used today, we use it for minimum wage. But here when we look at the word wage, matter of fact, the word wage, uh, the reason I'm focusing on this is because it is a very particular word. The word wage is so particular that when you look at other Bible translations, I looked at probably 30 different translations for this word to see how it was used differently. Only three translations use the word differently. The Net Bible, which is the New English translation, 
the Aramaic Bible in, New, in plain English and God's word translation. Out of 30 different translations, those are the only three translations that didn't use the word wage. The only three. King James, New King James, NIV, NIRV, NRSV, NASB, NLT, whatever translation you want to look at besides those three, Young's Literal Translation, they all use the word wage. So they were very particular in choosing the word wage as they translated it. So wage is not, we're not talking about minimum wage here, but we are talking about pay. And so here the word wage, when you look at it historically, initially the word wage, it meant to buy meat. That's what wage used to mean. When we look at wage, back in the day, in Paul's day, initially the word wage meant to buy meat. But then the word wage evolved and it went from to buy meat to the ration of a soldier. You know, this is what we paid soldiers, you know, to, to a ration of a soldier. So here, Paul, writing to the Romans, know that they know what a Roman soldier is and what a Roman soldier does. And so he's saying the wages of sin, the ration, the pay, the reward of Sin, and so it's it's the the word wage here means fitting compensation, fitting compensation. Why don't we like minimum wage? Because we all think that we deserve more. <clears throat> we don't believe that is a fitting compensation. And so when we look at the word wage, the wages of sin, the fitting compensation. What you deserve, what you've earned, your your experience and your education. And your skill set all add up to your fitting compensation. But unlike a job, if we're working here, the fitting compensation for our wages is death. So wage, the wage is fitting compensation, getting what you deserve. Getting what you've earned based on what you've done. Your pay, your reward, your salary. So when we think about wage, I want you to think of it that way. It's, a, it's, a, it's your payment. It's what you're getting paid. It's what you're going to receive. All of us love payday, right? We, we love the, the compensation. We love getting the check or the direct deposit or the transfer of funds. However your, your compensation is put into the bank. We, we love payday. And don't miss a payday. Let payday come and we don't get paid. Now, much as we say, I ain't working for the money. That's what we say. I work because I enjoy the job. Don't get paid on payday. And then when you go to the boss and the boss says, I just want you to enjoy your job a little bit. I want you to see how much enjoyment you have just from working. Or, or if you get paid and the compensation that you receive is not what you think is fitting. You know, now, you know, I, I work the extra 15 minutes right here. And so even when we get paid, guess what? We want to get paid rightly. We want our pay to be justified. Give me what I deserve. Robert G. Lee, uh, and not, not, not Robert E. Lee, there's a difference, okay? Not Robert E. Lee. Robert G. Lee used to have this sermon called Payday Someday. And so the wages of sin is death. And so please know that there is a payday. You shall get paid if you want what you've earned. It's coming. The wages of sin. 
is death. And so what are wages? Wages are just compensation, feeding compensation, the reward or our salary. For what? Sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. God has a standard that he has set for us. See, sin is different than transgressions and because, you know, sin is different than just rebellion. Sin is missing the mark. It's missing the mark that God has a standard of holiness for us. And when you miss that standard of holiness, you, we have sinned. Doesn't matter how much you missed it by. Check this out. It doesn't matter how much you missed it by. You missed it. We missed it. We sinned. Oftentimes, I, when I think of missing the mark, it's, it's, it's like target practice. You got this bullseye. And you're shooting at this bullseye. You can be playing darts. You can be shooting with your BB guns, your rifles, you know, your arrows, whatever. You, but you got this bullseye you're going after. And if you don't hit the bullseye, it's sin. And because we're not perfect, we are incapable of hitting the bullseye on our own. And so guess what? Every time we shoot an arrow, we sin because we miss the bullseye. It doesn't matter how close you get. I remember we, I used to play darts. My dad used to have this, this dart board for me and my brother. And it, was a, it was a cheap kind of dart board. It was the kind that the darts were cheap and the board was hard, so it would never go in. I don't know if you ever played with those kind, but the board was hard. The darts were cheap. And so they were made out of plastic, and so they would never go into the dart board. Um, and so if you wanted to win, you would go up and you'd get as close as you could and you'd throw it at the dartboard. But guess what? No matter how close we got, we could never hit the bullseye. We could never hit the bullseye. And so it doesn't matter that we were in the, the little 10 circle. doesn't matter if we were in the 5 circle. doesn't matter if we're in the 35 circle. What happens is, is that we look at others and we say, well, I'm closer than they are. But if you don't hit the bullseye, it's sin. It doesn't matter if they're at 35 or if you're at 30 or if they're at 25 and you're at 7. If you miss the mark, you miss the mark. We sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. So I'm talking about bullseyes, but let's talk about the Bible. Sin is missing the mark. Notice what God said that sin is. Exodus 20, he tells us about sin. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. If you do that, you've missed a mark. That is sin. You should not make an idol for yourself. If you do that, you've missed a mark. That is sin. You should not take the name of the Lord God in vain. If you do that, that is sin. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you don't do that, that is sin. Honor your mother and your father. If you don't do that, that is sin. You shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Guess what happens? If you do any of that, you've missed the mark. That is sin. But God doesn't just say it in the Old Testament. Jesus, and we've gone over this, he makes mention of it in the New Testament. Mark chapter 7. Verse 21 says, for from within the heart, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. These are sin. If you do any of this stuff, you've missed the mark. If we do any of it, we've missed the mark. And that is sin. Matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy about this in first Timothy, chapter one, verse eight, beginning at verse eight. 
Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral people and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with, with which I have been entrusted. And so here, there is sin. If we do any of those things, we've missed the mark, and that is sin. As a matter of fact, James sums it all up. He says, if you know to do what's right and you don't do it, that is sin. That's missing the mark. So, we sin. We do. We, we sin. Now, we try to distinguish our type of sins from this sin versus that sin. And my sin is not as bad as that sin. And my sin is better than their sin. But we sin. And the text tells me in Romans 26, 23, that there is a reward for sin. That there is a fitting compensation for sin. There is a payment. There is a salary for sin. See, don't think that you're just sinning and that you won't get rewarded for it. You will. The wages of sin is death. That's what we get. What do we get paid? What is our salary? What is our remuneration? What is our ration? What is our reward for sin, for missing the mark, for living a life that missed the marks of God's holiness for us? It's death. We say, oh, everybody's going to die anyway, but no, 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 no. This is a, this is a different kind of death. This isn't just talking about a, a, a physical death. When we look up this word, it's not just talking about physical death, but it's denoting a spiritual and a physical death. We get that for sin. Matter of fact, if you don't believe me, look at what Revelation says. Revelation 21 verse 8 says this. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21. And so death, death, the, the, the death, we're going to receive hell, the lake of fire, death. Now, the, the horrible part about this death. The horrible part about this death isn't the burning. It isn't the brimstone. As some try to theologians say, it isn't even the, the idea that you shall remember all of your sins and be confronted with those and haunted about those the rest of your life. It isn't that. The most detrimental and devastating part of this death is that now you have eternal separation from God forever. The horrible part about this death is that there is no second chance. There is no second chance. Now, some give us the idea from one of Jesus' parables that we can actually see over the abyss and see into heaven. But, but, but not so, that there is no second chance. There, there is no idea of that God, as some tried to say Peter said in his revelation, which we now realize was false, that Jesus in the end is going to bring everybody to heaven. That is not so, that hell is not on earth. Hell is a real place for real people that sin and disobey God. The wages of sin is death. That's death. When we talk about death, that is death. That's what we get paid. We get paid for our sins, and that results in death. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to die. 
And I'm talking about this in the context of death. In choosing death or life, I don't want to die. I don't want to die and be eternally separated from God forever. I don't want to receive death for the wages for my sin. I don't want that. I don't want that. And thank God that we have options and we don't have to choose that. Because matter of fact, when we look back at this one sentence, remember we said it's a compound sentence with two statements. And so it's one sentence. When we look back at it, for the wages of sin is death. But this three-letter word is a conjunction that lets us know that there's a change coming, that there's some indifference here, that the first statement is somehow different than the second statement, that there's a, a but, and this but gives me hope. This but let me know that there's a change coming. This but lets me know that some way, somehow, God is working it out that I don't have to die. Because there's a but there. For the wages of sin is death, but some way, check this out, some way I can sin and not get paid for it. Some way I can miss God's mark and not receive the remuneration of the salary that I deserve for it. Some way, though I throw my darts and they're always crooked when they leave my hand, some way, somehow they'll hit the bullseye. All in that but. But what? Look at the text. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here, when we see this, the free gift of God, this, this word, the root word, is the same root word that you use for grace, which is charisma. And so the grace of God, we can say it that way, the free gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life. Now, we, not, we have to notice this. Unlike the wages of sin. Notice the contraction there. The contrast. But denotes contrast. Notice the contrast. There is a wage for sin. But for eternal life, it's a gift. Do, 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 you, do, you, do you see that? There is a wage for sin. That means you can earn sin. You clock in for it. You're, you're docked for it. You're, you're, you report on it. Your hours are tracked on it. Your production is kept up on it. There is a wage for sin. You work for it. You earn it. You deserve it. That's what we want it, right? We want to get paid what we're worth. We want fitting compensation. We don't want minimum wage. We want the full monty. But there's a contrast between eternal life and sin and that this death is that you earn death. The wages of sin is death. You earn it. You get paid for it. But eternal life is grace. It's a free gift. It's something that we don't deserve. Free gift is something, it's grace. It's something we can't earn. You can't work for eternal life. You can't look at your, your church report and say, you know, God, in 2015, I only missed three Sundays the whole year. Lord, I, I tithe 10 percent, 90 percent of the time. I've worked for this salvation. I work for eternal life. Don't I deserve eternal life? No, it's, it's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. You can't even give it away. You can't inherit it. That means that if you have it, that you can't pass it on to your children. No matter how much you will for them to be saved, you can't give it to them. It's the free gift of God. Eternal life. So how do we receive this eternal life? 
Notice what it says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So this eternal life, hence life eternal, means to live forever. We become immortals that we shall not die. Though we die physically, we shall still live on spiritually. That's why when we look at people, we say they're just passing on from this side to the next. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. So we fly from earth to heaven. Through death, death is a door that God has chosen or that we chose when we sinned in the Garden of Eden. But death is a door that God has chosen for us to pass from earth to heaven to get to him. And we have this eternal life. And the thing about eternal life is that you don't have to die to receive it. Eternal life begins now. Jesus Christ said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't say, I come that you will have life. He's speaking in the present tense that you might have life, that you will have life, that you that you are, that you will receive life and you receive an abundant life. And so this is eternal life living forever with God. But we can only receive that in Jesus Christ. So how do we receive this from Jesus Christ? We have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. And if we want to receive eternal life, we have to believe in Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter five. Verse 24, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of, check these two words out, out of death into life. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you have passed out of death into life. And it's because we believe in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to get life, eternal life, is believing in Jesus Christ. You don't get eternal life by being a good person. You don't get eternal life by helping other people. We don't get eternal life by coming to church. We don't get eternal life that way. We don't get eternal life by being good citizens. We don't get eternal life by trying to follow all the rules that if I could go and mark up every sin that's in the Bible and try to make sure that I'm not disobedient to that and I live that totally, that just makes us Pharisees, doesn't make us holy. No eternal life. And so what happens is the only thing that you can do To receive eternal life is believe in Jesus Christ. And the truth about that is that you don't have enough faith to have faith. Y'all catch that? You don't have enough faith to have faith. Faith is a gift from God as well. It's not just grace. God also gives us faith. He's the one that gives us the capacity to believe in him. Now we can receive it or reject it, but he's the one that gives us the, uh, the, the ability to have faith. See, it's harder for us to believe in Jesus today than it was then. Why? Because we don't know if Jesus really died. John knew, Peter knew, Paul knew because they saw him die. They knew he was resurrected because they saw him in the flesh. They spoke with him. They worshiped him. So the only way that we can really believe in Jesus Christ today is to receive faith from God. That's where it's faith. So it's not, you got to understand, we can't do anything to save ourselves. Even the belief that we have comes from God. Why do you think folks think Christians are so crazy? You believe that? You, do you really believe that? Yes, I do. 
Because God has given me the capacity of faith to believe. And I want to believe it. I want to believe it because without believing it, death is my reward. But if I believe in eternal life is what I shall receive. And so do I want death or life? I don't know about you, but I want life. I want life. I want to believe in Jesus Christ. I have believed in Jesus Christ. And believe means to trust. To put your total dependence on him. There's this, this YouTube video that sort of gives this great depiction of it. Sometimes when we say trust and we try to describe trusting in Jesus, what we say is that trusting in Jesus is like falling back into his arms. Right? That's what we say. It's like falling back into his arms. But that's how we trust people. When we're talking about trusting Jesus, the, the, the video says, and we can do that, right? We say we fall back and he catches us. He fall back and he catches us. And then it becomes a game. Just, wee, I just jump back and I know Jesus is going to catch me. You know, I trust him now. But what they do is they take Jesus and they put him behind the lady. But then they tell the person in the video, they tell the lady, fall forward. She says, that, that, that's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Is it's easy to fall back when you know he's there. But what I want you to do is that you see me behind you, but I'm telling you to fall forward. And what you have to believe and trust is that I can be there to catch you, even though you see me behind you. And so when we trust in Jesus Christ, we have to put everything we got into Jesus Christ. Though we can't see him, we have to trust and believe that he's going to catch us when we fall into his arms. We have to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man shall come to the Father except by him. We have to believe in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is no life without believing in Jesus. There's no life without believing in Jesus. No life. No life without believing in Jesus. So do you, what do you choose? Death or life? Death or life? I know many of you have chosen life. Thank God for that. But all of us know someone who's chosen death. Because they've chosen not to believe in Jesus Christ. And so when you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, you have automatically, by default, chosen death. But you don't have to choose you don't have to choose it today. You can make a change in your life today. There is a but in your life. You are on your way to hell, but by the grace of God, you can choose life today. The wages of sin is death, but by the grace of God, you can have eternal life today. Your destination is eternal damnation, but you can have eternal glory with our Father who's in heaven. The awesome thing about it is that you don't have to die. You don't have to die. You can live. I'm pleading with someone right now. You don't have to die. Whoever you are that have, that have not chosen life, listen to me, if you have not chosen life, you have automatically chosen death. It's like playing those video games that when you don't choose something, the computer chooses it for you. 
So if you haven't chosen Jesus Christ, if you haven't opened yourself up and say, Lord, I want to believe in Jesus. Death is what you're going to receive. Death or life. What's your choice?